This is the PGA of Canada Professional Development Podcast Series. Industry leaders, PGA professionals discussing technology, fitness, planning your business, building your career. These talks, these ideas, developed for you to live a better life and earn a better living. Hi, and welcome to the PGA of Canada podcast. My name is Kay Weir, and I'm an assistant golf professional at Burnby Mountain Golf Course. I'm joined today by Chris Hart and Matt Weinberger from NextGen Golf, and we'll be speaking about millennials in the golf industry. What do millennials want out of the golf industry, and how can we attract them to golf as a game? Chris and Matt, welcome, and thank you for joining us. Great. Thanks, uh, Thanks, Kay. Thank uh, can you just tell us a bit about NextGen Golf, how it came about, what it is? Sure. Yeah, so Next Gen Golf, um, in, in general, we, we have three core, uh, products that we cater to different aspects of, you know, millennials in the golf industry. And really golfers that span from, uh, 15 to 39 years old and we're very proactive of keeping golfers in the game and bringing new players into the game through events and creating opportunities for the specific you know, millennial demographic. Um, we started in, in college golf. So we, we govern and sanction collegiate club golf in the States. So work with over 400 universities and have co-ed club golf tournaments outside of varsity college golf. Uh, we expanded and built a, a city tour, which uh, operates in 14 different cities, and we run events for young adults um, uh, on weekends. And then most recently, a couple years ago, started the National High School Golf Association, and cater and support um, high school golf nationally in in the states. Yeah, when I heard about you guys earlier this year, I thought this was a brilliant idea. I'm a former collegiate golfer, but I have a lot of friends who wanted to play golf um, at the college level, just not quite ready for it, um, and and didn't have any other options. And then also when my collegiate friends, when we finished college, um, I got into the golf industry, they didn't, but they didn't really have anywhere to play after college. So um, what I think what you guys are doing is a really um, brilliant idea. So thank you for starting this. Uh, you you got it. Yeah, it amazed us um, too that you know this this segment of golfers really important segments really significant segment. You know, there's a lot of golfers that are there, and then you know they might get left out. You know if they if they don't play varsity and there's no one really that cared about the the rest, not the best. So um, exactly. Then, yeah, and I run I run Next Gen Golf, and Matt um, here is our, our COO as well, and he operates uh, over you know the 200 plus tournaments that we're going to run you know annually. Awesome. Okay, I'm going to get into our questions. I'm going to start with something a little economical, but a really big issue for millennials. Uh, they have the most student debt than any other generation before them, and that means a lot less disposable income. How is the golf industry going to make this game affordable for millennials? Well, I think the message, Matt, I think the first thing is just defining what a millennial is. You can hear a lot of different talk about how you define ages. And Chris mentioned really who we cater to is the 15 to 39. So it might be a little broader than your typical millennial definition. But I think as it relates to golf courses, we're seeing more of them approach um, not just juniors as, as offering junior rates, but some of them are starting to think a little bit differently and realize that 
it's important to not have that person that maybe was an avid high school golfer drop off because once they got to college, paying regular adult fees wasn't feasible. So we see more courses now that are being smart about dynamic pricing or pricing specific to college students, pricing specific to golfers in their 20s, and it's, it's most probably evident within the, uh, the country club or private market where they are looking at their membership numbers and they say, wow, in 10 years, we're going to have a lot of these members that are older either not be members anymore because honestly, some of them are just dying off and they're not replacing them with younger members. So we're seeing some of those private clubs be smarter about how they structure dues and initiation fees and then monthly fees also, which I think is a positive direction, but it's certainly not something that's solved. It's just, I think, more towards uh, the beginning of, of addressing that issue. Okay. Um, this generation also spends more money on brands that support causes that are important to them. Um, waste management kind of comes to mind for me. But how is the game of golf going to promote social responsibility? Yeah, I think I think it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, social responsibility is important, uh, uh, as you said, in, in all brands and how millennials think and how they spend. Um, I think golf as an industry we do an absolute amazing job of of social responsibility. The the thing I think we could do better is how do we market that better to millennials so they know. I mean, just the social causes that golf supports, and you know, if you if you look on uh, We Are Golf um, website, you know, they what always amazed me is their stat when they say that golf generates more money for charities than the NFL, the NBA, the uh, NHL combined, and it's like, mm -hmm. wow, this is amazing of what golf really does and the impact. So how do we celebrate that more so that you know, more younger uh, millennials know that? Awesome. That's a really good point. Um, Inclusion is another important issue for this generation. It's been a hot topic. Is the game of golf ready to step forward and come uh, become a leader in promoting a high-level inclusion, especially with kind of its historical reputation? reputation of being old, white, and male? It's another really good question. I think just similar to how we approach the pricing, you really have to almost, there's a holistic conversation of, of inclusion, but really like where we stand here is, is focusing on the millennial side, because even if you look at the, the different high school or college or young professional players that Chris mentioned at the beginning, in many ways they're ignored and they're not included. So I think right. Part of what we're trying to do is help bring awareness and inclusion to our millennial golfers, and I think there's a lot of work industry-wise that's positive with working for inclusion, but I think we're, our goal is to help that segment of it, the millennials that are ignored. That's really our focus. Yeah, I think, and I think that's a really important part of it because especially as I'm a millennial, I'm kind of smack dab in the middle of that generation. Um, it is tough you know, with all the things riding against golf. Uh, I, I've been playing from a young age, but um, there's a lot of friends of mine that just this is not a game they really want to get into for kind of all the things we've talked about. Talked about. So I think NextGen is a super important um, company and organization to help with at least the old part of that rep historical reputation. Sure. And I think a, another thing that you know, we're, we're leading the way in is since the beginning, um, it was always head-scratching at first, but every event that we do is team-based, and every team is co-ed. Right. So 
when people say, oh, can women play? Like, that's the question, right? Of course they can. Yeah. We have all women's teams, and men and women play in the same event on the same team from different teams. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And, you know, we see some of the, you know, call it historically black colleges in, in the states who drop golf because of, you know, financial issues. And they say, we can't afford to have a varsity program. You know, we provide the option to say, well, it'll cost you a tenth or more or less, I mean, of, of what it costs to have a varsity team versus a club team. Why not have a club team and give those you know, students who might be more diverse the opportunity to play? So we, we always use this, this phrase, all swings are welcome. And I think that's important that you know, we set that precedent in the industry. And it's not a question of can women play. It's, it's a norm that they're part of the team. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, kind of moving over to social media, which is big. Uh, my generation is, I think, the brain—not the brainchild of social media per se—but we grew up with it, and we're definitely the ones on it most. Um, how can the industry leverage social media to help attract millennials? And how much are they hoarding themselves, basically, in not using it? Like golf courses or golf companies don't have social media. Is that really hurting them a lot? <clears throat> Yeah, certainly social is really impactful, and, you know, quite honestly, I don't think our business would have grown as much as it has in such a short time if we didn't have social media. It, you know, really gives you an opportunity to to spread quickly and wide, um, and it, it's changed, you know, over the last you know, seven years that we've been we've been doing this. Um, you know, when we first started, it, you know, Facebook was everything. You know, Twitter was kind of just starting, and Instagram wasn't even existing. Now you look at the platforms of Instagram and Snapchat and the growth, so it is ever changing, um, and it is difficult, I think, from an industry perspective, to, uh, you know, to to use social. But I think one really important topic that I always talk to, especially golf courses and PGA professionals, about is whether it's social media or even just looking on, say, Golf Advisor or Yelp reviews and social. Like people are talking about you, whether you like it or not, right? And even getting involved in that conversation. They may be giving you a, giving you a big pat on the back and saying, "Hey, this course I just went to was awesome." You know, I, I met Kate the pro, and she gave me an awesome lesson. You may not even know that, mm-hmm. um, and like it's great to be able to say, "Hey, Matt, thanks." You know, like let even just responding. It looks like it. Um, so you know, positive or negative, but I think it's important that you need to be aware. Um, you know, personally, I'm not engaged on social nonstop myself as a millennial. Uh, so I think that's the worry that people are like, oh, this takes too much time. What do I do? I think you just you really have to acknowledge it, be aware of it, uh, have a presence, and and just you know it, you can't ignore it. Uh, if you ignore it, you're certainly it, it's not going to help you. Right. Good point. Um, companies like Top Golf are they the way of the future in promoting golf to this generation, or you know groups like Next Gen? Um, Obviously, you're not exactly the same. Top Golf is a little bit recreational. Anybody can go there. But any simulator-based companies, is that a good way to attract um, kind of a new generation of golfers? I think we're starting to figure that out. I don't think there's a clear answer yet, but they're definitely involved. Because we've, we've had discussions with people at Top Golf and understanding they're getting a lot of those recreational players, like you mentioned. How does that translate to people going out to the golf course? Because we're really more on the event management, I would say more on the competitive side. As Chris mentioned, all swings are welcome. We have players shoot between 65 and 110. 
So it's, it's totally different types of golfers, and many of which those players enjoy going to Top Golf. So there's kind of a, you know, both can benefit each other in getting people from Top Golf to go to the golf course, and then just avid golfers are also enjoying Top Golf. I think similar to simulators, you get some of the really, really um, avid golfers that enjoy a different environment like that, especially with club fitting, some of these new technologies. Um, but yeah, I think there's really if there's an opportunity to cross over, that's really important for the industry. And what role do you guys think the PGA and LPGA tours play in attracting um, millennials to the game of golf? Yeah, I think I mean um, you know PGA and LPGA tour players. I mean they're they're aspirational, they're role models, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's you know it's really it's really great, especially in you look at both tours, just the young young players and people that you can look up to and relate to. I think it's if you don't have role models, you look at what Arnie and what Tiger has done for the game. I mean, obviously Tiger was a role model for our generation. You look at this next wave of juniors. Is it you know is it Ricky? You know, you see all the kids in orange gear. Um, yeah. So having those role models, I think, are important to say, hey, I want to be like that person. Or if you're a basketball player, you want to be like Michael Jordan or, you know, LeBron in this day and age. So I think it's, it is important, um, you know, to have, have role models. And I think, you know, from the, the PGA and LPGA side, I think the biggest thing that I would challenge them to do is to care about, to care about people like us, like the next gen consumers who are not the best of the best players. You right. care about them. You know, guy or girl that's just a fan that loves the game, loves you as a person, but, you know, they're not the best golfers. So how do we cater more things to those mass numbers and those, those people that are really important to our industry? Right. Okay, and speaking on professional athletes, um, how important are athletes like Steph Curry and Tony Romo that can actually play a high level of golf? How important are they to kind of attracting a new set of golfer? Well, hopefully they just help help raise awareness. We talked about the social media aspect. When those guys have been playing in some of the recent events, you see an uptick of conversation about golf. Obviously, those two athletes, essentially, in the NBA and NFL, respectively. I think that only helps, kind of like how Top Golf can bridge new players. This can just raise awareness. And maybe someone goes, well, Steph Curry's out there playing golf. I'd love to try it sometime. Right. But it's only one of the benefit. There's nothing really negative about it. You get some people complaining about should they get exemptions or not, but still, it, it brings up a conversation at least. Yeah, exactly. I think it's I think it's super cool for those guys to be playing our sport and showing, you know, they play at a high level in another sport, but they're still, golf is still kind of the thing that they want to do after they're done their sport. Sure. Um, we, we need to get rid of that stigma of what you mentioned earlier, the old white male you have some people like Steph Curry, who is mm-hmm. arguably one of the top ten most known athletes, especially in the U.S., where yeah. if he can show that golf is quote-unquote cool, that, that really does something different, especially like the Tiger Woods effect. Yeah. If, if you present something that otherwise hasn't been there, I, I would say, in my opinion, Steph Curry playing is more impactful than a Tony Romo. Right. Okay, a really hot topic lately um, as kind of a new generation or, or a different type of golfer comes into the game is dress code. Um, how are golf courses going to manage this issue to keep kind of both traditionalists and new wave golfers happy? Um, I definitely have to say I'm more on like the traditionalist side. I, 
I still like to see some traditional golf wear, but I understand there are a lot of newcomers who want to kind of, you know, show their own style. But how do you guys think um, kind of golf courses in the golf industry are going to deal with this issue? Um, sure. It's definitely a hot topic, I think, uh, as, you, as you said. And, yeah, I feel like I lean more towards the traditionalist as well. And, you know, you shouldn't wear jeans on the course and, and T-shirts. Um, I think it does – I think there's a time and a place for it. And I think the biggest thing that I would say from a PGA Pro or a course to do is when no one else is there, you know, if it's 4 o'clock on a Wednesday or 7 p.m., whatever, you know, the dress code could change because I've seen it where people, they're just more relaxed and they're not great golfers, but if they show up and they're wearing a T-shirt and shorts and you say, sorry, you can't play, Mm -hmm. then – they will not come back, and they're going to say, you know what, uh, <laughs> this guy was a jerk, and then they're going to write about it on social and write a review about the course, and that's like the the effect of it. So I yeah. think there is a time and a place. Maybe it's during certain times dress codes change. You know, something I haven't put a whole lot of thought to, but I think if if you know a traditionalist is there, you know, late, they got to accept that other other people are going to be there later that might be less traditional. Right. Okay. Um, one little thing I wanted to touch on, just because it's coming up next year, uh, are the new rule changes coming, which I, um, you know, I've been asking people about a little bit in my industry. How important are these new rule changes in getting not only millennials but other segments um, of golfer into the game? Um, because you know, it's very common, especially for me as a golf professional, to have a lot of rules questions from my students and, and my members. Um, so what do you guys think about these new changes and how they're going to impact the game and, and getting people into the game? I think it's interesting that you mentioned into the game. The first way that I heard the question was, of course, it's really important for us as tournament organizers that we mm-hmm. need to be able to understand the quote-unquote simplified rules, update our rules, and apply them to our actual 200-plus events. So that's an important piece. But in terms of getting people in the game, the big initiative is just simplifying the rules. And I think I I play with a number of people that play a good amount of rounds and still don't know many of the rules. And I think most people have a 10 to 20% actual knowledge. I I do the actual USGA and PGA classes here every year to make sure I'm updated on the rules. And I think about how people playing in our tournaments don't know most of the stuff. So with this 2019 rules, from what I've studied so far, I think we're moving in the right direction, but no matter what, if someone on the outside that wants to start and become a golfer, it's still a daunting task. There's so much that is, I guess, inherently complex with the rules of golf that if we can kind of make it bite-sized, which I think if you have a friend that brings you out to the golf course and can simplify it, it makes it so much easier to start. And then when someone's comfortable to the point where they want to start competition, the USG is doing a better job at making that really bite-sized and easy to start with and learn. Because it's not something, no one's going to sit down and read the rules of golf for their first round of golf. It's never happened and won't happen. So it's kind of, it's kind of just a balance. And, and in terms of your tournaments, do you guys have, do you follow uh, USGA rules you know, to the letter, and is there? do you have any sort of introduction to rules when you're um, hosting these events? How do you go about dealing with the rules in your tournaments? 
Yeah, so if anyone from the USJ listening to this, this is when they should exit the podcast here. The, uh, the <laughs> USJ rules for us are used, and I, I, I manipulate them just a bit. So we do use uh, what I consider to be like NCCJ, which is our collegiate club golf for non-varsity golfers. I, I'm looking at the people that play in our events, and Chris mentioned all swings welcome. So we, we approach things and we say, well, what do we need to do to make, one, the experience better, and two, make it more applicable for our players? So one thing that we've instituted from the very beginning of club golf is double par. So if someone has a six on a par three, they can pick up eight on a par four. It's not something that's allowed via the USGA rules of golf, but mm-hmm. it's one of the local rules we've adopted to match our constituents. So that's just, that's a perfect example of one way that we slightly tweaked it. But yes, in principle, we follow the USGA rules. And I I think that's um, I think it's great that you guys kind of tweak them a little bit to fit your you know your segment of golfer because that's only going to help grow you know those events. I think. Yeah, agree. Yes, that, and that's why we do it. We we want people to enjoy their experience. We don't. Mm-hmm. We try to stay away from the big moment where Dustin Johnson grounds his bunker and it keeps yeah. costing a major championship. So I think the USJ realizes that, and that's why you're seeing a reduction of rules, a simplification, and trying to use more of like a judgment based on what should take place here versus having six different ordinances and rules to reference that, to cross-reference that, and come up with a final verdict. Golf is just, there's so many different variables that it's almost impossible to do that. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you guys so much for all your insights on this topic. Um, I'm really happy that you're able to join us, and uh, hopefully we'll get to speak with you again.